0: Today, Pastor Paul talks about walking well in an unhealthy world, about our mission to connect to Jesus, to submit ourselves to God's will, and the importance of staying on that mission through our daily lives. That's right, you're going to want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. And as you do that, by the way, Trevon did not see my notes. He doesn't know what I was going to preach on other than the passage. And so his little um, challenge to us as a church is interwoven throughout this whole entire message. And you're going to see that that was just the Spirit of God moving in him. hope you're at 1 Peter chapter 2. And I want to introduce you to a guy before we get there. His name is Lucius Domitius Ahenobarbus. We'll call him Lucius. Lucius had a horrible, and this is centuries ago, he had a horrible family. His dad was 44 years old when he married his wife. His wife was his first cousin once removed. And his wife was 13 years old when he married her. And so you got this 44 year old man marrying his first cousin once removed. And he said, it is reported that Lucius' dad said this any child born to me and my wife would have a detestable nature and become a public danger. How would you like that for a daddy? Your daddy says, hey, hey, any child of mine, any child of my mom and your mom is going to be a public danger and a public nuisance." Lu- Lucius had a horrible dad. His dad was known as being a, a womanizer, a completely immoral man. He would, he would often swindle people who who won the games and they would get prize money. He would often cheat the people out of prize money. He was accused of adultery. He was accused of incest for having sex with his sister. He was accused of, of treason. And the only reason he got off those charges is because he knew somebody higher up in the government offices. Well, he was assassinated. But that's Lucius's dad. Lucius's mom was a power-hungry woman. Her first husband was assassinated. So she married again. This time, her second husband, she ended up murdering This is Lucius's dad. She puts her son up for adoption... And then a little while later, she is murdered. Violence, immorality, all of this is part of Lucius's family background. It gets worse. Lucius himself turned into be a horrible person. See, Lucius is the one who killed his mom. Lucius rose to power in the, in the Roman government. I'll tell you his name in a second. He rose to power in the Roman government. And, and he didn't like his mom for who knows what reasons. She was power hungry and he wanted to push her out. And so what Lucius did was he tried to kill his mom. First thing he did was, was he put a hole in the ceiling above her bed so that maybe the ceiling... Yeah, that didn't work. <laughs> Next thing he did was while his mom was out on the boat, he had a hole put in the boat while mom was out there in the ocean and the boat sank, but mom was able to swim to shore. That didn't work. And so finally he had his henchmen kill his mom. Lucius was a horrible person. Lucius, um, he fell in love, but he fell in love with a man, and so he had the man castrated so he could marry the man as his wife. Lucius was a horrible person. He had many people put to death. It is said that while there was a tragedy in the city, he hung out and he played the fiddle just upon his palace roof. Lucius, Domitius Ahenabarbus, is Nero, the, the Roman leader around the time that Peter is writing this letter. Peter is thought to be, have been in Rome, and he's writing to a group of churches that are, that are outside of Rome in what we would call Turkey, this cluster of churches. It's important that we know the context, because Nero takes, and, and Rome catches on fire. Rumor has it that Nero started it, but he might have started the second wave of the fire. First wave of fire starts in, in Rome. At that time, all the ceiling buildings were built really close to each other on narrow roads. And so when one building catches on fire and the winds blow, it catches another building. We in Southern California are very familiar with that. And so one building catches on fire. Pretty soon the fire is ebbing down in its intensity. He's up there playing the fiddle. Rumor has it. It starts to ebb down. Nero needs a project. He needs, he, he doesn't, he's losing political capital. And so if the rest of Rome burns and all of a sudden he has this great civil project to build, and so he, the, somehow soldiers are seen with candles or torches and stuff starting to light the rest of the city on fire. It burns for six days and seven nights before it finally moves on and out of the city. Well, politically that didn't do good when your city burns down, and so Nero needed a scapegoat. He needed a scapegoat in order to blame these fires on And he And there were clusters of people, mostly amongst the poor, in the worship. There were a sect of Judaism. They were starting to Worship this guy they named Christos. And so he looked at them, and, he, and, and they were poor, they were impoverished people generally, and he goes and he blames it on them. He blames it on the Christians. I'm going to read you a couple of quotes from a guy who was actually there, a guy, a Roman historian, Tacitus, Tacitus, whatever, however you say that, we'll say Tacitus, um, from his book of Annals at the time, and, and let me read this. It says... This is just a little bit about the Christians and the death. The Christians' very deaths that Nero put them to death were made the subject of sport. So Christians' death were the subject, for they were covered with hides of wild beasts. In other words, they'd take a wild beast, they'd skin the wild beast, and they'd put the hide of the wild beast on top of the person and send him out. And then the person would die because of all the bugs and the maggots and everything else that would attack him. And worried to death by dogs. In other words, they'd send wild dogs after these people. And nailed to crosses. And set fire to. And when the day waned, in other words, when evening came. Burned to serve for the evening lights. Nero was a horrible, rotten man who used Christians to light his evening parties. Set on fire. Dipped in tar. It, it, and this is about Nero. This is an eyewitness account. Therefore, to stop the rumor that, Rome, that that Nero had set the Rome on fire, Nero falsely charged with guilt and punishment most fearful torturers, the persons commonly called Christians, who were generally hated for their enormities. Look at the charges that they levied against Christians. Accordingly, those who were first arrested confessed that they were Christians. Yes, yes, I'm a Christian. And therefore, they were put to death in some horrible way. Next, on their information, a vast multitude were convicted, not so much on the charges of burning the city. They stopped charging them to, about burning the city, but with the human race. Hating the human race because they saw Christians as a very horrible religion that, that eat their leader. Jesus says, drink my blood, eat my body, and they think they translate that into cannibalism. They hated Christians. See, when you study the Bible, context is everything. Knowing knowing what is going on, knowing the pressures of the outside world upon this small group of believers is incredibly important as we begin to understand. Pretty soon we're going to get into the role of women and husbands, and, and today we're going to look briefly at slaves, and we're going to just see. You've got to understand the context. This letter is not written to the church in Colton. This letter is written to five different churches in the greater, and so we need to understand the pressures that they had. And when Peter says, honor Nero, honor the leader, we don't have a president who is lighting Christians on poles. We don't have a president who is, who is doing immoral, horrible, rotten things of, of all the castrating men and marrying them. So we need to think through, what was he talking about when he said, honor the king." See, context is everything. Turn with me to 1 Peter. Let me read the passage to you. And then from there, we'll extrapolate some of the meanings. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through 25. Peter's a group of people who are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own choosing. He's elevated us. No longer are you, are you part of the, the commonality dirt. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for God's own choosing. You are God's special people. Therefore, dear friends, Church of Jesus Christ, this is who you are. Therefore, I urge you, as foreigners, because you're not part of them, you are a foreigner, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will accuse you of doing wrong. They may see your good deeds and glorify visits. Submit yourself "...for the Lord's sake to every human authority, rather to emperor, rather to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil." Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your master. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit, how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and you endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you. Now now he's translating. Now he's going to use Jesus Christ as a great example for us. And for this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. From Isaiah, he's going to quote Isaiah 53 on and off. When they hurled insults, and he was there and he heard the insults. When he warmed himself by the fire, he heard the insults. And he heard that he did not retaliate. When he suffered And Peter saw the sufferings. He heard that Jesus made no threats. He saw that Jesus entrusted him fully to him who judges justly. Isaiah 53, 4 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. And so we might die to sins and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed. For Isaiah 53 6 says, For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Incredible passage, incredible um, illustration that's going on. So let me continue. Context is everything. You know, as a church, you have a mission. You have a mission from one, from a ruler to a unique. You are on mission from your ruler Jesus Christ to a unique people at a unique time. You know, I was thinking about the uniqueness, the, the 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 brilliance that we have being alive today in California. You know, when when I was growing up, when I was growing up, some of you can remember, right? If you were watching TV and you wanted to change channels, how did you do that? You actually had to get up, right? Get up, walk over to the TV, and click, click, right? And and what channels did we have? We had two. Four, five, seven, nine, eleven, and thirteen, and then those weird channels that nobody ever watched, right? And 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 really, honestly, not many of us watched nine, eleven, and thirteen, and barely we watched channel five unless it was Rose Parade on New Year's Day, right? We watched we watched Bugs Bunny. We watch. Oh, you've got a billion channels right on your phone watching YouTube. You can be engrossed in videos twenty-four-seven a day and never watch the same thing. We, we live in this great amazing time of technology when when our cars we'd be lucky if we got 80,000 miles off of them and now and now we take it back because it's recalled if it has 80,000 miles on it you know we, we live in a time where our houses have air conditioning how many of you like me grew up in a house without air conditioning when you yeah see we know what it's like to sit in a lay in a hot bed in a pool of sweat right we know what that's like we know what 255 air conditioning means in your car, right? As you roll down your windows like this, instead of like this, Matthew and Lindsay, pay attention. Aaron, watch, okay? the like people in back understand. The old days, there was something called a window crank. And if you wanted to cool down, you kind of put your head out the window. I remember going to Palm Springs one time. It was like 150 degrees. And then the pavement was melty and shimmery and... and I'm putting my hand outside and I'm going, I feel like I'm baking because that's the only air conditioning I had. You roll down the windows and you go for it. We remember, we lived in this wonderful, fantastic time. Church, we have the greatest opportunities to reach the most amount of people ever. How are we going to take advantage of that? How are we going to do that? How are we going to be on mission? Because we have a mission. Our mission is one, to connect people to God. Two, connect people to one another. So connect people to God and then connect people to each other. That's our mission. How are you going to accomplish this mission? I want you to live a life that enhances the reputation of God. I want you to live a life that enhances the reputation. And you know the biblical word for enhancing the reputation? That means glorify. A lot of times we don't know when I say, hey, 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 go, are you glorifying God? You have no idea what that means when I say glorify God because you don't know what that means. Am I supposed to put a robe on him? What am I supposed to do to glorify God? How about this? Is what you're doing, what you're thinking, how you're acting, and how you're responding, is that enhancing the reputation of God? Or does that reputation of God? And they say, Oh, there's a Christian. Are they thinking better of God or are they thinking worse of God? Three ways at least that you can enhance the reputation of God. Just because they do it in Rome doesn't mean you should try it at home, right? So, so just because they do it in Rome doesn't mean that you get to do it at home. It says to abstain from sinful desires. Nero, the government, the people, were living in debased cultures and communities. And, and cultures in which you'd have prostitution as a way of worshiping their God. And, and, if, and if the God wasn't pleased, what you would do, you might... ...in order to please the God to get a better crop. You had, had debased... Immoral ways of life. Kids, women, slaves were all just pieces of property. Immoral ways of life. And Peter tells them to abstain from sinful desires. The word abstain means to put distance between you and it. And I think that's a bit of wisdom, isn't it? It doesn't mean just to stop. It doesn't mean just to quit. It means you need to put distance in between you and that temptation That desire. What is that desire? What is that temptation? All of us have those. Could be pride. Could be arrogance. Could be fear. Could be lust. Something, a habit that you've had that that was bad that, that you've never given over. To abstain. Put distance in between you and that desire. Which desire has its grips on you that you need to distance yourself from? Maybe it's a fear that you have and you live in fear of what if somebody says something bad about you, and therefore you don't, you don't take a risk. Maybe it's a, your thinking is stinking because you're spending time with people who are doing some stinking thinking. And so you spend time hanging out in Rome, and you spend time taking what is at Rome in your home. Therefore, you are not enhancing the reputation of God. You are pushing away from the reputation of God in those things that you do. So just because they do it in Rome doesn't mean you should do it at home. One guy said this about that. He said, One man has said, Well, it is not enough for the gardener to love the flowers. He must also hate the weeds. That's profound when you think of that in terms of our sinful behavior. Number two, Peter says, Your good conduct will be their good word when the good Lord returns. Like that three goods? You can get that. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, and they will, oh, 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 values as the world, therefore, therefore, you're this kind of person. Therefore, you're phobic. Therefore, you're fearful. Therefore, you're, you're, and they're going to accuse you of doing wrong. But when Jesus returns, they're going to stand in judgment. And when they're standing in judgment, you know what they're going to testify about? They're going to testify about the good deeds that you did they're going to testify about the way that you brought glory to God. And, and God's going to say, you, you, they don't have good deeds amongst themselves, but they're going to say, I saw Paul. When, when Paul did this good thing, I saw that. I saw him in you. And I, actually, I saw you in him. And, and, and your good deeds on their day of judgment will be what glorifies God. And so when you abstain from justice, loving, and forgiveness, you're actually stealing from the glory of God. Have you thought about that before? When, when you just don't participate in acts of love towards somebody. When you say, you know, I'd rather, I'm just not going to love them. And you're choosing to push them away. You are actually choosing to steal from the glory of God. Because he's going to get glory. He's going to get glory from their testimony about what you have done. That is a great thought, church. I hope you dig deep into that. I hope you think about that. Number three. Don't get disqualified because you don't agree with a despot. Disqualified from the race because you don't. Listen to what it says. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, rather to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Don't get disqualified. Look what I said. Peter didn't say great arguments will silence the ignorant talk of fools. that's not what Peter said at all Peter wasn't saying well if you just out argue your opponent and so I have up here I have a Democrat and I have a Republican because because there are people in this room who belong to both sides of the aisle there are people in here who who say Donald Trump is great there are people in here who say President Obama was great and this is what my saying about the scripture is you can't grind a fool in a mortar though you grind a fool in a mortar grinding them like grain with a pestle you will not remove the folly from them Think about that. Church, that, that is a humorous verse. You, you take a fool and you're going to try to out-argue a fool. How many of you have ever won an argument with a fool? <laughs> Amy raises her hand. Or, uh, you've been in an argument. How many have ever been in an argument with a fool? How many of you have ever won it? <laughs> you know, you, you, and so, and so you've got a fool. A person who, who is adhering themselves to a foolish way of doing things. And you can present the argument as much as you want, and you're never... Going. The other thing, Peter didn't say irreputable evidence will win the ignorant talk of the fool. I think that you, there are... I am more convinced in God's creation of the world than I've ever been as I grow closer and closer to God. It is incredible. I showed a, a video to... um, Was it Wednesday night I showed it? The Wednesday night? And it was pretty... Thoughtful And and it's just incredible about the cell and and how impossible, utterly impossible it is for evolution to to explain the coming together of a one 40-part, 40-protein cellular object. It is just utterly impossible to happen, and yet people are believing in creation that God created it, and, and there's no way that it came about any other way. And what's the verse say? The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of sins hold them fast. Part of the reason, I believe, why some people don't want to admit that God created the world is, is they have to look at themselves and say, if there's a God, then I stand guilty before him. See, you can have the greatest argument in the world, but if they are not ready to deal with their sin, they might admit that there's a God, but they're not ready to confess, they're not ready to accept him, and and you get to be the light, you get to be the hope, you get to be the words of of grace to that person to help them deal with the heart of the issue. Next one. Peter didn't say, picket signs talk of the fool. Don't answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Sometimes, church, it is necessary to protest. Sometimes it is necessary to stand tall and stand strong. Let's make sure we're standing tall and standing strong for the right things the right things, and, 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 and that we do so in a way that helps bring glory to God and enhance the reputation of God. We need to stand strong on some profound social issues. But, but we don't need to shout somebody with a bullhorn because a lot of times that doesn't convert them to Jesus. What is our goal? Is our goal to be right or is our goal to help them come to Jesus? Let's figure, come to Jesus. We've got a mission. This is what Peter said. Live such good lives among the pagan that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, oh, you believe in creation, you're wrong. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. Peter said, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. I tell people this. People who have a bad relationship with their mom and dad, how do you honor your parents when your parents are not honorable? When your parents are dishonorable, my parents were not the most honorable people that I know. My mom did some things that were horribly immoral. Honor my mom. I honor my mom and my dad by becoming an honorable person. And taking the name of Stump that at one time was not a good name. Taking the name Stump and saying, this is a good name. And rising it up so that it is now an honorable name because I choose to live ways that honor him. And so, so when he says, honor the emperor, how do you honor the emperor to become an honor? And that's what he's talking about. And then he says, it is, is it commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering they are conscious of God? Peter said, it is commendable. You stand for your biblical values. You stand for your, your belief that there is value in humans. And you suffer for it. That's commendable to God, when judgment comes. you got to figure out who you want to be judged by. And so Peter said, it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering. He's talking to Christians. Christians not far, not far even physically from Rome. This Turkey area isn't that far from Italy. And it's not far. The culture is like that. It's not bad, church. If you have to suffer for a little while for the sake of the kingdom of God, stand up underneath it. I want you to know that you're on mission. Your actions speak louder than words. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Are are your actions and your words Are they fixed together? And your words speak from your heart. For out of your heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, immorality, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are the things that defile a person. The only way that you can have a good heart, is if you allow Jesus Christ to renew your heart. If you allow Jesus Christ to enter your heart and to start rebuilding it and to forgive it, he says he's going to give you a new heart, a heart of gold, a heart that is pure. Are you willing to let Jesus have your good heart, give you a good heart, or do you want to continue to live in a way that, that unenhances the reputation of God? I've never asked Jesus into your heart to give you a new heart. Don't leave this room without doing so. Don't leave this room saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to give my heart to Jesus later. Because out of your natural heart, out of your sin-filled heart, comes sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. And out of that will come your words. Church of Jesus Christ, your words speak your heart. What do your words say about you? See, so you have a model for this mission. This is what I love about what Peter did was, was he challenged us. He challenged us, us to be these people that are unique from another kingdom, from, from exiles. He challenged us to, and gave us a new identity. You are a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You as in people, you are God's special possession. You are, are a significant person to God and he's watching over you. And now he says, you're a model. How do you live in that debased culture where the emperor is living an immoral life? How do you live in that D based culture where your boss is treating you like crap? How do you live in that kind of environment? You follow the example of Jesus. Follow the example of Jesus. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Jesus is, and I worded this carefully, a living testimony. He's not an old testimony that has been Jesus Christ. We're going to celebrate it. Jesus Christ died. Jesus Christ is living today, right? Therefore, he is a living testimony today. Not a living testimony of old times, but a living, alive, interceding for you at this moment is Jesus Christ. You've got a mission to accomplish. He's praying that you would accomplish it. But he's going to say, Peter's going to say, here's my example, Jesus Christ. How did he handle tough people in tough situations one, he committed no sin. Two, Jesus' words were true. He committed no sins and no deceit was found on his mouth. Imagine if Peter writing these words. Peter, the man who walked with Jesus for years. He ate with Jesus. He, he saw Jesus part. In fact, Peter tried to get up and walk on water. He did for a couple of steps and said... Hey, I'm walking on water. I can't do this. Oh, no. And, and Jesus helps him up, right? Right. And there's a storm. And Jesus got to wake up. And, and Jesus rebukes him. And he saw Jesus feed 5,000. He saw him feed 3,000. He saw Jesus do all kinds of things. The blind could see. The deaf could hear. The mute could speak. The lame could walk. He saw Jesus do all of these things. And then, and then on the night that he was betrayed, Peter slashed off the ear of the high priest's assistant and, 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 and in a little battle, And Peter was there and then Peter heard because he went to the place where they were giving that mockery of a trial and Peter heard them accuse Jesus and he heard the fists up against Jesus' face, the whips up against Jesus' body. Jesus, all that whole time, no deceit was found in his mouth. From the time in which Jesus said to Peter, I will now call you Peter to the time that Peter meets him in the upper room. After Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus never—I mean, Peter never once heard a deceitful thing on Jesus' words. In fact, Jesus said to Peter, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I speak words of truth because I am the truth. Jesus responded peacefully when people spoke horribly about him. Peacefully. When they hurled insults at him, Jesus didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself fully. And Jesus had the power and the authority to do that. Right up there on the mountain when Jesus is being betrayed. Don't you know I can call a thousand angels? I can just eradicate this whole entire place. I can eliminate these people. It's a, I, but I'm not going to because I love you so much. I, I want you to have a new heart. I want the Holy Spirit to come upon you. I want my message to go out to all the ends of the earth. And if I have the then that won't happen. So I'm going to entrust my message to you. And today he entrusts his message to you. Jesus endured patiently, even though he had the power to end it immediately. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. That's hard to do when somebody's saying something about you that is mean that is wrong that's a lie that's deceptive that's false it's really really hard to say nothing to trust that god is in control when you could retaliate and you could you could make instead because you know that you're on the noble right side of the argument of the accusation you say i'm going to trust this to jesus and you let it go That's incredibly hard to do, church. Jesus trusted in God's future judgment. He himself bore our sins and in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed. If you have never trusted Jesus, you need to know that Jesus died for you. If you have never given your, you need to know that Jesus took him on the cross. And he took your sins and he became the sacrifice that you could never provide. And because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, we can live for righteousness for him. It does matter what you say. It does matter how you walk. It does matter how you live. Just because the Romans do it doesn't mean you get to do it at home. The Church of Jesus Christ. We've got a mission to do. We've got a mission this week to do. And and I appreciate what Trevon says. Because I'm going to tie this into what he said on the piano. Go and connect someone to the Master this week. Connect somebody to the Master. To come to know Jesus. Do it. You want to know what you can do is just talk to somebody. You first start with an invitation. Start with an invitation. Go ahead and just have the courage to pass up these tickets to your friends, your families, and say, Come, find somebody, and tell them that you're a church-going person, and, and let them know that you love Jesus, and then talk to them about Jesus. You might not have all the answers, but I guarantee you the Holy Spirit will help you in that moment of that conversation give you provisions and stuff you never thought was possible. That's happened so many times to me. Two, then connect to somebody else spiritually. Why do we have Bible studies on Sunday morning? Why do we do that? Do we do that just because it's tradition? We've always done it for a thousand years? You know, tradition says we haven't. Sunday school started mid-1800s. So so why do we do that? We do that because we want to connect one another to one another. We are not in this spiritual world alone. I want to challenge you. Come to Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. Get involved in Larry's group. Get involved in Rich's group. Come to Sunday morning. Come to church Sunday, 1030s. Come to a Bible study. We have a great Bible study Tuesday night. We have a great Bible study Wednesday night. We have a youth group Wednesday night. We have events over and over. We want to challenge you to participate and connect one to another. I'm excited about a new thing that's starting up at Mary and Sanders' house. A Bible study, kind of an evangelistic Bible study. I feel like God is leading you there, go for it. We're, we'll give you the supplies. But you've got a mission. We've all got a mission. And that mission is to take the love of Jesus to the lost and dying world. And then connect people who love Jesus to one another. Are you guys on board with that mission? All right, let's, let's pray and let's close. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this great mission that we have. Lord, you have entrusted your gospel to us. And in your wisdom, Lord, you've seen that at this unique moment, Jesus, that you're going to use each one of us. Lord, I don't know how you're going to use me this week, but I give you my week right now. I lay before you my week, my my evening this evening, my days with the meetings that I have planned, I lay before them and I say, Lord, help me point others to you. Interrupt my schedule if you want. I would love for you to do that. Pray for those in this room. The same thing, that their calendar, whether they're traveling or whether they're working or whether they're home and they're retired, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would interrupt their schedule with somebody who needs to know you. So, Lord, we as your willing servants, we as your living sacrifice, give ourselves to be on mission and on board with what you're doing. And that is bringing people to your son and glorifying you with our words and our thoughts and our actions. Lord, thank you for this time to dedicate this week to you. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.